and we are back with another episode of Talking as a Free Action. I'm your host, Owen, joined again today with our illustrious co-host, Marvin. Welcome back to the show. Hey, yo. And uh, we are joined again uh, with a fantastic new guest. Um, you know, audience, please welcome uh, to the show, uh, Sarah, uh, better known perhaps as Pixies and Pins on Twitter and other places. Sarah, welcome in. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, welcome. Thanks. Really been looking forward. Um, I, for those who didn't know, um, we've had a little bit of a uh, back and forth trying to get you onto the show. I know we've we've uh, missed each other a few times, um, just you know, with hurricane and other stuff. So uh, happy that things yeah. have finally aligned. I mean, to be fair, it does seem like what kept me away from the show was a literal act of God. So I feel like <laughs> it's probably fine that it took a couple extra weeks for me to get here. Yeah, I guess if that's not a like acceptable excuse, I'm not really sure what would be. Yeah, yeah. Or like maybe it was the universe being like, don't have her on. What are you <laughs> thinking? Oh, boy. Yeah, I guess that, that also could be it. Um, boy, I hadn't really oh, considered. I've never listened to the universe before, though, so. That's fair. And I appreciate you disregarding its all of its signs today. Thanks so much. <laughs> Um, well, speaking of disregarding signs, um, so uh, tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself. Um, yeah, so um, my name is Sarah Moore. My pronouns are she, her, and uh, I have an actual play show on Gen Con TV um, that airs every Friday night at 5 p.m. Pacific. Um, and I spotlight indie games on it generally. Uh, we, I actually have never played D&D on the show, I don't think. Uh, although I have played plenty of D&D in my personal life. Um, I, I also, uh, am a game designer. I am in the process of, of two games that I am designing. Um, and then I, uh, am a D- professional DM for hire in the Chicago area, uh, with a company called Rough Magic. Wow, that is a lot. <laughs> I do, I do, yeah, I do, I do a lot of things. There's also, I don't know if if you know who Peter Atkinson is. You you probably do. O- owner of Gen Con, um, kind of a big deal. He is uh, my boss, and I work for him in a, a company called World of Caldia, where it's a, a multimedia project that's based on a D and D campaign that's been running since the '80s, and um, we're turning it into live action. And uh, I DM for him sometimes with that, and I'm also their social media person, and I act in it. And um, yeah, uh, gaming and and all of it has sort of soaked into my, my whole life. So, hi. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is a lot. Wow, um, a lot. That's. That is interesting. I I almost don't even know where to begin. <laughs> so, Great. Um, very cool. So um, so you say that you you you're a professional DM. I don't think that's something that we've had on the show before. So how does one fall into that? Because I I guess for me, like growing up and playing you know tabletop games, I've always just kind of asked people that I knew if they wanted to play. Um, yeah. Because I've always been the forever DM. <laughs> so yeah um so what kind of led to that being a thing uh i started doing my show sarah's table um i'm in my second year and i have moved channels so i used to be on on a previous channel i was in um level up 
TTV, which is no longer supported. And so I had switched to Gen Con TV. And sort of in the middle of that, I had been running a lot of games at conventions. Every so often, you know, Peter would say like, hey, come run this game for me. I just recently run, ran a charity game at Pacificon um, where I got to have Luke Gygax at the table and people were able to come in and like, you bid on a seat essentially to to raise money for for charity and um a friend of mine was like i know you know how to do games and another friend of mine who i did not know it was sort of a, a six degrees situation uh is, is starting up a company and needs people who are comfortable running D D um for like events and stuff and got us in touch and i was like hey i don't know you know what sort of resume situation you need but here's kind of what i do and he was like will you come come do it with us please um and so we there's a, a couple monthly events that we do called drinking and dragons uh, that's held at a couple of bars in the in the city but then i'm i'm also doing a, a paid campaign where we meet monthly with the same group and um i'm running a, a spell jammer campaign for them just I you know I prep it between and and then we meet up at and in a in a generally a public place and and play it. They seem like a a good group, but they are a, a just a literally just like a group of people who didn't have a DM. So they they went through my company and and found me. That's awesome. I have a, you can't see, but I have a big old smile on my face because like that just Yay. that is some really cool stuff. Um, yeah, <laughs> so. it's it's super fun, and and like I think some of them uh, are maybe interested in in DMing in the future. And so I every time I take a professional DM gig, I I understand that that's probably a temporary situation, right? Because like they'll get their their feet underneath them, and then somebody will feel comfortable enough to run, and then. They will no longer need me, um, but that's that's great. That's like spreading the hobby in a really comfortable way, and and I think also it helps with that. Addresses that problem of like, oh, I'm not going to show up because it doesn't matter, and like, no, no, we're paying for this. This is costing us money, so we're all going to be there. Um, and then you know we don't we don't have anybody who drops out because they would lose money. So yeah. <laughs> when you pay for the seats, it's a little bit of a, there's like a little bit of a um, extra contract layer there, like beyond the social contract. Yeah. So, um, no, like I, a literal contract. <laughs> yeah. It's a literal contract. Yeah. No, I guess when I said the words, I was like, wait, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's really cool. And I think that like that's a pretty common experience for for new DMs where I think there aren't very many people. There are some, of course, but I feel like the majority of people don't jump into DMing until they've seen somebody else or played through games where somebody else was doing it first. So I think like having yeah. that experience to like model their own behavior off of does help a lot for giving them like a frame of reference on what they should even be doing. Yeah. I've sort of gotten to a point now because uh in I I haven't tallied up this year but in sarah's table in season one um i ran uh 15 different systems um and so oftentimes i was getting the game and it was a weekly show and so i would have a couple days to teach myself the system and then on stream teach my players how to play a system that i had Ne never seen before um no pressure and I got, 
Yeah, yeah, no pressure at all. Um, but I got really um comfortable with it in and I think it taught me honestly that like it's okay to not know all of the rules and it's it's not a huge deal if you have to look something up in the middle of a game or if you have to just make a decision, you know, like I'm going to adjudicate this. It is maybe not the correct way, but like I want the game to go forward and I I think it's more important for me that the story is moving forward and that everybody is having a good time telling the story than everything is exactly rules as written. And so um once I sort of embraced that and embraced like the chaos of like following my players and all of their weird tangenty antics, um I got a lot more comfortable at the table as a DM. Yeah, I, I definitely can see how that might come about. I mean, particularly if you're not like familiar with the with the rules of the game, it becomes mm-hmm. a lot harder to be kind of like a hardline rules as written when you don't know what those are in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's always a good rule of thumb to kind of like let your players guide you, you know, in a yes. sense. I mean, it's good to like yeah. have like an overarching like story for like longer running campaigns, but particularly for like one shots or if you're only running a handful of uh, sessions for a thing, like just go where the fun is. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, your, your players are going to have way more fun if you like kind of indulge a little bit in their nonsense. Yeah. I always say uh, I want to run the game that you want to play. So like I will follow where you're going. If, if I have set out this big plot, that's, um, you know, very intricate and, and like I think it's very exciting, and you follow that NPC. Let's go find out where he's going. That's where you want to go. So I'm going to figure it out along the way with you. Um, and I just I feel like I've gotten to a point now where um, story is is the most important for me, and so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna f- figure out what story you're wanting to tell, and I'm gonna help you tell it. So. That's sort of where my philosophy is at this point with DMing. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, I mean, I really enjoyed the story aspect of it. I enjoy the combat of D&D in particular as well. Um, I, I know not everybody does, but um, but I, I really look for opportunities to like help my players tell stories. Um, and like to that end, I, I do try to like talk to them a little bit ahead of time about the sort of mm-hmm. story they're looking to tell for their, uh, for the characters they want to play. Um, when you're when you're doing um dming like for your personal games or for you know or i guess if there's a difference in your personal games and your live games um what does that prep work look like for you like are you just like kind of letting your players roll up with whatever they put in the sheet or are you trying to kind of suss out maybe like a character arc they kind of have an idea for ahead of time so <laughs> yeah if i am doing it depends on if it is like a one shot one shots are a, a touch more on the rails, I think, for me, um, especially if it's a, a a show that I am like showcasing a, a game for, like a, a new system or something. Um, I try loosely make like a, a beat sheet, right? So I'll say, um, like, we're gonna do our intro. You're going to get a couple of choices, and then depending on which one you go, I have like. You know, maybe a minion encounter, maybe a boss fight, 
maybe maybe some sort of p- political intrigue situation, um, maybe a mystery. Um, I sort of I, I have a, a couple of branches uh, that you can choose from, um, but generally, it's there's not a, a lot to do with that um, because I know that I have like between two and three hours and I've got to do game explanation at the beginning. And, you know, there's, as, as you know, as running a podcast, like there's some tops and tails stuff that you have to do and you have to intro. And, um, I always do a safety discussion and that takes up some time, you know? So, um, I I think I'm much more structured when I am doing like a convention game, when I have a time limit, uh, or, or on a show, but at home, I sort of have big, big stuff that I set out for a campaign. Like here is the, here is the big story if you want to follow it. Um, and I, I, I get really excited about things and I tend to end up doing the notes back afterwards and like little short fictions of different, of the different characters or the different NPCs. And that's how I like to reveal stuff to people, you know, throw it up in the discord that we have and like, here, here's what happened to the characters after you left or whatever. Oh, kind of like um, if you're like watching a movie and it like cuts to like the, the bad guys talking or something. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, I, I would, I like tell, telling it in a narrative way instead of just like, here's some bullet points. Here you go. I get, uh, I get very excited about writing stuff and it's probably too much, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> I feel that. It's always better to have someone who's like much more excited about the the thing than it is to have someone who's like disengaging, right? So like, y- yes, yeah. So like, I would much rather have a DM who's like cannot wait to tell me all this extra information, um, even if it's info my character doesn't technically have, um, right? Just because it like it fleshes out what's going on, you know. I, I I guess for me personally, I like looking for opportunities to like tell information in an organic way. Like, I love that style of storytelling where, like, the players can use the information their character has to, like, learn new things about the world without needing to rely on, like, outside, like, I won't say, like, metagame knowledge, but, like, they don't need to, like, like, I I don't like just telling my players stuff. I like trying to look for opportunities to show them different things. Um, I I guess the adage, like, show, don't tell. I don't think that strictly yeah. applies to, to D&D in every circumstance, but I do look for opportunities where I can show them that a thing is happening instead or show them the tangible consequences of a decision they've made. Yeah. I mean, anytime mm-hmm. you can sort of paint that in the world around you, I think I think it's it's fun for the players to see it. I know when I'm a player that that's very exciting for me when they're, you know, when they're like... When my DM is is just describing stuff that's around me, and I I can I can be like, oh, that is that is a thing we should definitely focus on because I I think it's going to be important. Or they mentioned this thing last session, and now they're bringing it up again. This is, we should definitely go check out what that is. And and that's not a that's not the DM just going like I don't know, just roll a perception check. Okay, here's what you find. Um, mm. I, I like, I'm, and which is valid, of course. Um, but I, I do like getting a little bit more florid, I guess is the right word. I mean, when you have the luxury of having the experience that you do, right. Cause I, you know, I, I gather f- from your extensive history that you've you know played the game for quite some time, 
when you yeah. have that level of experience, it gives you the freedom to be able to to roll with it a little bit more and to kind of feel more comfortable letting your players figure it out. Because I think that like as a new DM, and I think this also is probably the same for, for new writers too, um, there's sometimes that worry that you're, that the audience won't get it, right? <laughs> you know, kind of like underestimating yeah, the, the ability of the audience or the players to like catch on to the thing you're picking up on. And sometimes I've even seen it um, go so far as they're upset when the players catch on to what's going on. Right? It's, oh, like, no. it's like they've caught on. It's like, oh, they've guessed the twist. And like, now it's not going to be as surprising. It's like, no, no, that means you, you've done the right thing. You've, you've foreshadowed it properly. Um, ah, that was correct. They're <laughs> figuring it out now. That's what you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, you know, or they're starting to like think of things in more abstract ways. Because for me, at least, that's something I I struggle with a little bit is encouraging my players to think a little bit more abstractly about the game rather than uh, thinking strictly within the confines of like I can do this for a standard action, I can do this for a movement action, I can do this for a bonus action. You know, uh, kind of thinking in like the very linear, siloed ways that like you know, like D and D in particular, um, or Pathfinder kind of encourages you to kind of fall into. Yes, absolutely. Um, so uh, not to harp too much on D&D, though, um, you had mentioned that you've run a lot of other games. Um, any particular systems that I guess are, are highlights or maybe hold a special place in your heart that you want to kind of shout out? Yeah. Um, so I ran a lot of the Polymorph system, which is by Ninth Level Games. Um, they have a, a game called The Excellence, where you get to be a a princess of something um and it's high fantasy and then in that same world and using the same system they also have one called nancy druid where you are um magical scouts uh and then in the same system again they have one called mazes there's also uh which is like if the polymorph system and D had a baby i i think where it's like very it's it's extra extra high fantasy um but just using their particular um, dice system for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's there's also one called Rebel Scum that's polymorph, and so they sort of c- cover all your bases. If you want, like, a sci-fi game or if you want a high fantasy game, you want a game that you can play with your kids. Um, and I could, run, I could run polymorph in my sleep. Zero prep. Let's go. You want to run it right now? I've got you. Um, <laughs> like I could do it because I've, I've run it enough, and it's um, it is a very heavily story focused game, which I think is great. Uh, the dice do not get in your way when you are playing. Um, but I've also had the the privilege of of running some games that were uh, not released yet, that were in um, like kickstarting stage. Uh, I got to run Yezeba's Bed and Breakfast before it was out, uh, which is like like Miyazaki, basically. <laughs> if you if you were going to, um, I don't know if you are familiar with Miyazaki's films, but it absolutely felt mm-hmm. like one of those. It's by Possum Creek Games. Um, you you play magical people inside a magical bed and breakfast that never stays in the same place um and i also got to play a horror game called Deimos academy by game and a curry mm. where you head back to the haunted boarding school that you went to as a child and have to escape it before it consumes your soul 
Isn't this uh, the plot of a Goosebumps book? It it's um it yeah it's sort of based on that <laughs> situation yeah um but yeah it's great it's it's cool I've gotten to do so many cool things it's really hard to highlight but I think a couple of those are are absolutely very nice um I think I speak for Marvin and I when I say that we're both huge weebs um so mm, that's fair yeah um so, mm. so um, giant weebs <laughs> yeah so we're we're both fairly that's familiar actually with how them. we met. That is oh. actually true. No, um, uh, yeah, anime club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we met in the in anime club in high school. Oh, so you are 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 longtime friends. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, how long now? Gee. Basically, the whole time we've been playing D and D. Actually. Yeah, effectively. So, like, what, fifteen, sixteen years or something at this point? Mm-hmm. Oh, yay. And now I feel old again. Thanks. Oh, that's okay. I'm older than you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, oh, it's no. fine. It's good. Oh, no? I feel like Marvin is, it doesn't believe me. But I am, and it's okay. There's nothing wrong with Oh, no, older. I believe you. <laughs> I think that's one of the cool things about the hobby is, like, how many people are, like, you know, really from, like, kind of all slices of uh, of life, particularly nowadays, where, like, so many new yes. people are coming in. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's one of those things where it's, like, it really doesn't matter how old or young you are. Well, I guess how young. There is probably a, there is probably a lower age limit that we can get to, but, but like, Correct. for the most yeah. part, once you get to, like, basic reading comprehension um, and, like, being able to comprehend rules, um, or at least the rules of pretend, um, you can generally start having fun with with um tabletop games so um so i, I think yeah. it's really cool and there are some great games that are aimed at children that are just wonderful um no thank you evil is really amazing by monty cook games where you uh where you play a, a child's toy and they are defending the child from from the forces of of darkness essentially uh but everything is really sort of a little bit more sanitized so it's it's friendly for your for your kid um including down to how the mechanic works and how the character sheet looks where everything has pictures on it so you don't necessarily need to know how to read fully um it's it's great i know you said you have a little one and like mm-hmm. what a g- excellent entry point into rpgs should you decide to introduce them early <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's always a question, right? When you're when you're a parent, it's like how how much do I try and indoctrinate my kid into my hobbies? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I went all in. Uh, my kids started running. We had a family D and D thing for a really long time, and they they actually I think they ran their first game at like six, six or seven. Um, oh wow! And like they they still wow. play. They they went away from it for a while, and it wasn't like an all the time kind of thing. But when they showed interest, we were like, yeah, this is what you know, this is what we do. This is what mom and dad like to do as, as their hobby. And so they, they were really interested in it. Um, we instituted a rule that they would roll their dice and then put their hands up at the table. And sometimes they would play with our like regular gaming group. Um, and so there was a stretch of time when all of the adults, even if, even if the kids were not at the table would roll their dice and then just put their hands up. Um, to not pick them up and drag them <laughs> and change them. Uh, it was it was very funny to see. Um, yeah. That is very cute. 
and and very cool i'm i'm happy that you were able to to kind of get that i guess there's always the the risk when you're parenting that like if you introduce things that you really enjoy that like they can grow to resent it if it gets pushed on too heavily yeah yeah but i mean they started their D D club in middle school um Talk and, about things that I wish I had when I was in middle school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They started For it. There, there's one in in high school that they're they're both in now that they're in high school. Um, but they've also found their own groups to play with. Um, which mm-hmm. is yay internet because you could they you know they each sort of joined a Discord server and were like I found people who want to play this game and I was like yay yay to all the things. <laughs> um, it's very <laughs> exciting. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. It's, I mean, I guess we're going to deviate a little bit into parenting uh, today, but... Um, that's all right. But, I mean, it, I mean, it is relevant. I mean, I guess for me, at least in particular, but like, it is it is scary to... Because, like, not only is it amazing to, like, be able to be in a world where, like, previously, if you lived in a rural town and nobody you knew played D&D, you were just kind of stuck. But now we have yeah. the internet and you can connect with so many different people who, you know, can share that hobby and you can share that experience. We have, you know, tools like Roll20 and VTT to, you know, like have the maps and do the thing. And like, that's all amazing. But also it's just like terrifying to like be on the internet sometimes because you really don't know sometimes sure. the people who you're talking to. Yeah, but I also think that there's a way of doing it um, as a parent where you are present enough to monitor um, but I mean, yes, there are bad people on the internet, but there are, you know, also bad people just in life. There's probably people at, at the school that don't have best interests at heart. There's, you're always going to run into that regardless of where you go. And I think that if you give your kids the tools to, um, to recognize when something is an uncomfortable like situation for them and feel empowered to leave that situation for whatever reason that um that you're just setting them up for success later on down the road um and i think that this is it this is the same sort of thing right like i think even as a as a femme presenting person there have absolutely been times that i have gotten into situations at conventions or um just you know uh, uh, joining games on the internet or whatever, um, where I was like, oh, this is not the place for me. Uh, and because I was able to to respect myself enough and, and to feel empowered that I could detach myself from that situation and, and leave, and you model that behavior for your children. And, um, you know, I think my, my kids put up with way less BS than I did at that age because... Um, I've always made sure that they know that, like, if, if something is wrong, you you just leave. You just call me. It doesn't matter what it is. I will come and get you, and we'll be done. Um, and I think that that is, uh, I think that's helpful. Just valuable life skills. <laughs> yeah, it is, for sure. And, well, I mean, and so, that's part of the reason why I do a safety discussion at the table. Where I'm, Look at I'm bringing us back to gaming. Here we go. Um, <laughs> You're better at so, this than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, safety discussion... I, I know it's not terribly popular to do, um, but I think it's becoming a little bit more mainstream. And I think that it's important to create a space where your players feel comfortable and um, feel comfortable being vulnerable with you. 
because that is what you're asking them to do, right? I mean, sometimes you can be be like, it's just a hack and slash and this is what we're doing and we're just everybody stabby and you feel great afterwards and very powerful and it's cool. But another thing that role-playing games can do is let you have these these stories that are truly emotional. I mean, there's so many stories out there of people talking about how they uh, had this wonderful interaction and they they were crying at the gaming table because of something that happened with their character. Like the amount of like, and, and they're my, you know, this person is now my best friend or I fell in love with another player at the table and now we're married. And like, there's, there's so many of those things because people felt safe to be themselves and express themselves. And so when I go into a game, I want to make sure that my table has those comfortable boundaries for people. So I I check with them and I'm like, you know, is it important to like what is off the table? What what can we not stray into? And 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 if we stray into something that you didn't realize was not okay, like here's the tools that you have to tell me that it's gone too far. Um because also being vulnerable means like sometimes being silly, you know, sometimes people have, have a, have a problem being comfortable enough to like crack that stupid pun, right? Like, oh, somebody's going to look at me like I'm an idiot or they're going to call me a dork and I'm not going to be, you know, you know, like that is another, another kind of vulnerability. And like, I want, I want people always to leave my table going, God, I felt great there. I just want to come back. And so I, mm. I hold those boundaries for people. Honestly, that's really important. And like, I know it's kind of, um, it almost seems rote because like, you know, a lot of times you'll see discords like, oh, I'm having this problem with my group. And it's like, the solution's always just talk to your players. Like just communication's see, always the talk solution. Talk to your players. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and like, it, it, it's almost a meme at this point to me, at least, because every time I see it, it's like, boy, this problem could just be solved if you just opened your mouthpieces and started making sounds with them. Um, it's true. Um, because like, even though like I try really hard to, to be respectful of everybody at the table, like, you know, every once in a while, like I'll do something where like it makes somebody uncomfortable or sometimes the players yeah. will do something that make me uncomfortable and I don't yeah. want to have to do with that. Right. Um, you know, it's like, I, I've had situations where like players are trying to flirt with me, like in character and like, okay, I get it. But like, there is a line that was crossed that made me uncomfortable, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. I have to pull them aside after the game. Like, hey, we're going to not do that again, right? I'll humor it in the moment. But like, you know, that was something where it's like, oh, actually, this is getting a little bit too close to like, going way off in the other direction. And I wanted to try and yeah. keep it you know, a little bit more family friendly in that respect. Um, Yeah. I mean, and and so what, uh, here's, here's a question, not that I'm interviewing you, but my question is, (laughs) um, why did you feel like you needed to humor in the moment? Like what, what was it about it that felt like you didn't feel like you could just shut it down? Um, I think in that moment, I knew that it wasn't malicious if that makes sense. Like, the person who was perpetrating in this instance, it wasn't malicious. It was kind of more of, like, it was a part of the bit. Sure. So, like, because it was kind of a part of a larger arching joke, I was fine with it. But when I thought back on it after the fact, I didn't want that to replicate again. Mm -hmm. Because, like, it turned... um, I'm just going to say what it was. Um, It it, it was a... um, The best part about this sort of discussion is I can always cut this bit out. 
and cut so it out if, if you don't want to say anything. Yeah, yeah. If I listen to this later, I'm like, ooh, that was a little bit weird. I can cut it out. So for <laughs> sure. everybody who is listening to this now, <laughs> I've made the decision to not cut this part out. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> if we get this far. But basically, the character wanted to go to a brothel, and in that moment or whatever, he's like, can I can I roll to see how well I do? Like, in the sack. And like, oh, sure. I, I capitulated. I was like, fine, sure, whatever. And like, he rolled well, and it was like, okay, fine. Like, we all, the, the whole table gets to have a laugh or whatever. But like, thinking about that later on, I didn't like that it kind of objectified the experience in a very like right. icky way. It made me feel really icky yeah. after the fact. So like, even though like everybody gets to go home and have a laugh, you know, the, the three dudes or whatever get to go home and have a laugh. Oh, he rolled a 20 to, to make the girl feel good. It's like, okay, that's all fine and good. But like, it made me feel really icky after the fact. And it's not something I'm ever going to replicate again. Cause like, yeah, for sure. You know, I, like I said, I went with it at the time and it's something that like, you know, it's my personal game. So nobody will ever find out about it except for right now, if I've decided to keep this in. (laughs) So, you know, but it's something that like, you know, after the fact, I'm like, you know, he's a new player at the time. I think it was maybe like his like eighth game or something, you know, so like I really should have model that experience better and really just kind of say like no we're just going to kind of move past this bit like you can you can have a good time if you want in character but like i'm not going to i'm not going to humor role playing what your what your experience is like nor do i need to like you know leave it to chance whether or not it was a a fun time like we can just kind of move past it it's just it's not important and i think that's really like that's really the thing that i need to to get away from is like Ultimately, like these NPCs, these characters that I'm playing, they're not there solely to make the player characters feel, you know, feel good or, or you know, whatnot. They're they're supposed to be treated as other characters, as other people within this universe. Right. Um, well, there. Um, I mean, I think I think often players who do things like that, I think, forget that uh, it's you who has to play all of them. Like, you know, they're focused on what they're doing and how we're doing it. And like, you know, I, so they're nights. If it is an NPC having night, you're wearing like 15, 16 hats. You know, it's a lot of, of stuff to, to deal with. And, um, and to, to really go in on something that is, is making you uncomfortable is, is not worth it at the table. Yeah. And I think for me, it wasn't even that like it made me uncomfortable in the moment, but I didn't like what it said about the way that I was running the table, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Um, You know, and and I've had instances like that, too, where, you know, like uh, we drifted into a territory and I had a player pull me aside after the fact and said, like, hey, that that subject was not okay. Like that was getting really close to some of my triggering topics. Can we not do that again? Um, You know, it's like, I'm sorry, I I should have asked ahead of time. Um, You know, and again, that's that was another learning experience for me because, you know, it was somebody whom, because up until that point, everybody who I had ever had at my table was like a personal friend of mine that I had known for like a long period of time prior to. That was an instance where it was somebody that I had only met through one of the players at the table, so I didn't have that background, and I kind of erroneously made an assumption that they would be okay with like a situation mm. that clearly was not. Um, yeah. So like. You know, and it's tough because, like, normally you would suss that out during session zero, but, like, this is them joining in the middle of a longer-running campaign, and I really should have done more due diligence. So it was another kind of learning experience for me. Um, You know, and again, 
prime example why like safety discussions, particularly for new people to the table, new players, new people to you. Because um, yeah. sometimes you don't know where that person's boundary is until you've crossed it. And then by that point, you may have made them feel uncomfortable to a point where it might not be repairable. Yeah. Well, and, and also even check-ins randomly with with your regular table, you know, even if it's the same people you've been t- playing with forever, um, there there's always a chance that, like, something happens during the week um, and they need to avoid something at the table. And like, you want them to feel comfortable enough to tell you as a DM, like, Hey, I'm so sorry. I can't do this this weekend. You know, this, this this subject has to be off. Um, Mm -hmm. Great. Do it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing too, is like, I think part of that is just also making sure that like you are, consistently open to that sort of feedback because you know one of the things that like this comes up in the workplace too but like when people are unpredictable with the way that they respond to to like conversations right or hearing things like that can be really stress inducing in of itself so absolutely (laughs) i mean speaking up in general for yourself is something that's very hard for people to do and so if Mm -hmm. if you don't (laughs) create space for it it makes it even harder yeah, like if the only time you're ever seeing these people is in a group setting and no one is ever like empowered to reach out to you as a, you know, to DM you or whatever or text you or call you or whatever to like have those conversations like hey, I wasn't really having fun in this situation or like I didn't like the way that this made me feel. If you never make it known that that's okay or if your response to that is you shouldn't feel that way, yeah. you're going to shut that conversation down and you know, that's going to lead people to feeling alienated. So, um uh but yeah, that's it's definitely. DMing is like a learning experience. Like it always has been for me, always will be. And you know, I one of the things that we hoped to kind of accomplish, you know, when we set out to make this show is we wanted a, a resource for um, for like people who are new to the hobby or new to DMing to like be able to listen in, chat with us for a little bit, um, and learn more about kind of what they can do to you know help their table have the best experience that they can. And, you know, our experience isn't going to always translate one-to-one, but that's definitely experience that I can always say is, like, always be open to feedback, make it, you know, something that's easy to do, and just be really cognizant of what your table wants. Because some tables are going to be okay with stuff that other tables absolutely cannot be. Correct. Shifting gears a little bit, uh, I know you had mentioned that you do, uh, that you did those actual plays, or have done actual plays and such. Um, Yeah. When it comes to to DMing for an actual play. Um, can you speak a little bit maybe about how that's a little bit different than running for personal games? I know we touched on it a little bit, but it's something that's always been really interesting to me because I've always like toyed with the idea of maybe doing that myself. And then, you know, I ultimately decide against it, but it's something I'm always kind of like interested to kind of see what other people's experiences um, are and kind of like how you fell into that. Yeah. As I, uh, when I'm approaching it, I sort of look at um, the camera uh, because mine is is a is an actual play live stream, so it's it's not it's not voice only. Um, we are also video. Um, I I am looking at the camera almost as another player at the table. Um, a lot of my actual play stuff is teaching because it's it deals with a bunch of systems that people don't get to see on a regular basis. And so, um, 
there's a lot of just like explaining how a, how a rule works or what we're rolling. We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're building this piece of it together. And so I'm going to just one more time, give you an example of how to do it. And, and then, and then we do it on the stream together. Um, I think one of the things that you just like super have to be aware of it, it's, and it's a little bit of camera training. It's a little bit of actor training um, is just like knowing that, uh, there's always going to be eyes on you and knowing when to be quiet on your mic when, you know, it's somebody else's turn to be speaking or, or spotlighting um, and and directly addressing the audience at times um, while also keeping track of what's happening in your game. <laughs> um, it's It's a lot to juggle. But I think that uh, it's it's valuable. It, the structure of it has become very, you know, very intuitive now for me with we we start out and I do uh, the same kind of intro every time and then, you know, talk about what game we're playing and who who's made it and who can we shout out and who can we we, we talk about and then we do our safety discussion and then let, let's all dive in together and let's figure out this thing together and sort of um I think you get comfortable, you have to get comfortable sort of watching the clock a little bit because you have, you have a time limit. And so you know that at about halfway through, you got to take a five minute bio break, you know, like you, you have to like sort of be um, both DM and producer for it um, and, and host and, um, I think it can be really successful and really fun and really, um, I don't know if empowering is the right word, but like satisfying to, to be able to run these things and, and introduce stuff to people. Um, but you know, it takes a, it takes a ton of energy. And I also understand that it's not for everybody, you know, like I've had people who are like, I love running games, but I don't want to do it on camera. Um, I actually do a lot of of running for World of Chaldea for Peter Atkinson because he he doesn't love running on camera. And so when we're running games, he's like, I would like you to do it because I would rather not. Uh, and so I sort <laughs> of get get pushed those opportunities because other people have done it before and have decided they don't like it. Um, there's a, there's an extra layer to it that can absolutely be kind of kind of exhausting but in a good way like like you've just worked out a bunch does that make any sense <laughs> like, <you're, laughs> like your is like tired but you feel like i feel great like i feel good about having done that but i would like a nap now so yeah i, I, think I understand I, completely <laughs> cool <laughs> I, I think i do get it it's because the thing that strikes me about it is like DMing or GMing is ultimately like performative. You are still performing for the rest of the the group that's there. But when you have the cameras on you, like as you mentioned, the thing that strikes me is like you always have to be on, right? Yeah. Um, and that that can be really exhausting. And I think that that's an aspect that a lot of people don't realize because, <laughs> like, I've seen a lot of you know actual plays come and go. You know, particularly of the smaller variety. Where they start up, they run for a little bit and then dissolve, you know, because yeah. they don't get viewership or 
you know, the cast doesn't have chemistry or the GM isn't particularly um, entertaining or any number mm-hmm. of reasons, right? Production quality isn't good enough, which even that I'm not like convinced is a deal breaker. Um, I really think it boils down to like, you know, cast con- uh, cast chemistry. Um, yeah. You know, uh, are there any other like aspects of the show that you think are like make or break? I think that there's a level of, I don't, this is going to sound maybe bad. So just like go with me on this. Um, But I think that there is a level of likability that you have to, you have to like the people you're watching because Mm -hmm. there aren't even high production value actual play shows are people sitting at a table with dice and that's it. I mean, maybe you get some miniatures, maybe you get some cosplay, maybe you get a cool map, but like it's it's just them and you have to want to watch them. Like regardless of what game that they are playing, you have to want to be you have to want to come back because you enjoy the energy that is being projected at the table. I mean, it's like story is important, and I guess to a degree of like what they're doing in the campaign. But like, if you are watching an actual play show on a regular basis, it's because you like the people, and not necessarily because you like the game. That is a lot like how I describe other kinds of live streaming, mm-hmm. uh, particularly Twitch streamers. You don't go back for the game they're playing. You might find them for the game they're playing, but you don't stay for the game. You stay for the streamer. Right. Because, and often they'll change up what they're playing or whatever. And they still, you know, most, they keep most of their viewers because Mm -hmm. it wasn't about that. It was about them. Yep. Yeah. Cause like, you know, there's a, you know, a thousand other people that are streaming the same game. You know, ultimately you need a way to differentiate yourself from, you know, all of the other people, you know, when, when shows like Critical Role started, right. And like, it was a still a relatively novel thing. Um, yeah. The reason that people, you know, keep coming back. Cause like, you're right. Like just watching people playing Dungeons and Dragons is a lot more boring than playing Dungeons and Dragons, unless you have right. like a particular, um, a particular knack for, for drawing people to, to watch you. Right. Um, all those people being trained actors, actresses, and and you know, voice actor actresses, like that all helps because they all have a they all intuit what stage presence they need to project in order to be entertaining, right? Um, yes. They also all knew each other already and had been playing yeah. for a little while, so they already and they had, had a good bond between them. Like it was easy to see that they all liked each other at the table, and that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and even then. Uh, once they initially started, they still had to like they still had some of those growing pains with you know, um, you know cast changes, uh, you know, uh, spitting off from from Geek and Sundry, like those things all came too. They didn't even get it right the first time. You know, they still yeah. had to to work through some of those challenges. And so, like when I look at new actual plays, and I think to myself, like you know, these are great people, and often they are good people, but like, are they entertaining to watch? It's kind of a different question, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, there are some people that I, I am great friends with that I we don't gel at the gaming table. We have different styles and it doesn't it doesn't fit. That doesn't mean I don't like them. It just means I don't want to play with them. It's the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And likewise, there are people who are great that you can have at your personal table that just would not make good TV. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> You know, um, for a variety of reasons, right? You know, it's like, oh, I love playing with so-and-so, but they always make weird jokes, right? That just, I can never put on TV. <laughs> I can never put on stream because it would it would not go well, right? It would not go well for them. It would not go well for us. Um, you know, so it's one of those things where it's like, if you're ever in a position where you're like, oh, I really want to start an actual play pod, um, podcast show, stream, whatever, you know, so much pressure has to go into selecting like what faces you put on that show because yeah. it's not just like, oh, I need people who are individually entertaining, but I need people who like will gel well together. And if person A doesn't like person B or doesn't like working with, with each other, or if they don't like each other's characters, like that will absolutely kill the vibe for lack yeah, of a better way to put sure. it. So, um, so I, I do have a question then. So you've, you've GM'd a lot of, uh, a lot of games. Um, do you have much opportunity to play as a player yourself anymore? Not as much as I want to, which is probably the answer that everybody gives, right? When you're like, yep. how often do you play? And it's like, not as, not as much as I want. Um, but, uh, my, my partner, my husband is, um, are, is a, a DM as well. And he runs a, a regular home game that we try to meet once or twice a month, um, depending on everybody's schedule, which, you know, the, the biggest obstacle in all gaming is schedule. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so we have, we have that one that I play and I, I also play um, in a semi-regular game of the game that I helped design uh that that meets up we try to do twice twice a month um and and i do try to drop in on on other people's games i i play a lot of games on streams for people um which again is slightly different than just getting to like just play together but it, mm-hmm. it does allow me to not be in that game master seat so I take it because <laughs> I want to play. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if I should just stop lying to my players and just tell them that we play bi-weekly now. Because I've been telling them mm. for you know multiple years now that we play weekly, but like I don't think we've played four weeks in a month. Yeah, it's hard. Not once since I've joined. I mean, not for lack of trying, but like, yeah. <laughs> um. Def- definitely feel that though. It, definitely, there are character concepts. I've just, I just recognize that I'm just not going to get to play all the PCs that I want to. That I want oh, to. Oh yeah, that's so, fair. Big mood. Kind of a bummer. Um, but you'd you'd kind of casually dropped in there that you designed your own um your own TTRPG. Um, and yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you mentioned there was a Kickstarter going on. Uh, there is a Kickstarter going on. Yeah, it's um. So the the game is called The Crowned. And uh, you get to play uh, a god of a small slice of reality. We always, uh, the ones that we give an examples of are always, um, you could be the god of bu- bu- bubblegum. Um, I've seen this Kickstarter. <laughs> you have? That's, it's yes. so exciting. <laughs> okay, yay. Um, yeah, you could be the god of bubblegum. You could be the god of volcanoes. Uh, when I played, I was the god of foxes. 
which was fun. Um, or the God of Colors. I, I did that for a couple of sessions. Um, yeah. And you, you're in this, this big me- mega city called the Shining Garden and you get to be a God and, and do godly stuff, which is super fun. Um, and we, we funded in 72 hours, which was just bonkers and very exciting. Um, so now we're working on stretch goals, but we, we still have as, as of, well, by the time this airs, uh, I believe that we will still have maybe a week and a half, to two weeks left in the Kickstarter. So if you have not gotten in on it, um, it's the crowned TTRPG. If you focus on that in uh, on the Kickstarter page, we will come up. And the art's really pretty. Very nice. And I will... so good. <laughs> right? Our artists, we have the same artist for the whole project, which is just like not a thing that you, you get a lot in in big books. Um, mm. And she is uh, so much more amazing than we could have ever hoped for. We describe things in vague hand gestures and then she turns out this beautiful art. Um, it's yeah, we're very spoiled with her. Cannot wait to check it out. And um, I will include a link to that in the uh, show notes. So thank you so much. Yay. Yeah. yeah. We're, um, we're, it's our first, our first game and we're, we're so proud of it. And um, it was a lot of blood, sweat and tears. Uh, I think, I think we're on year five of, of some aspects, some incarnation of it. And then we were finally like, we, we just need to kickstart it and, and get it out. And we just have to, just have to release it. Um, so that's a good game that's dope you guys should play it we probably play it great absolutely (laughs) i mean we we enjoy reviewing product we don't do it nearly as often as we should but we do enjoy it we will soon (laughs) um what kind of um, can actually run them yeah Yeah, that's fair scheduling Uh, uh, it's brutal um (laughs) although now we're going to be having a um a uh, monthly live game, so maybe. Oh. Uh, um. Well, I say oh. live game between Marvin and myself because he's going to be stopping by my place. So. All right. Mm-hmm. Um. So maybe that. I don't know. We'll have to. We'll have to take a look at it. Um. I can it, run all these weird role playing games I got. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it's a great experience. Um. Maybe maybe we'll get a chance to do our uh our uh, D and D character draft as well. I'm hoping we do. Yeah, we'll we'll have to work on that at some point. Um, So, uh, what kind of dice system is your uh, is your game? Is it like a d20, d6? It is a d6 dice pool system. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also built a system to design rotes, which is what we are calling like the fast spells that you would get off off in, in combat and stuff. But they are. They are not necessarily spells because you're gods. So as a god, you don't perform spells. Uh, you perform rotes. So we built a system to build it. And the whole thing is built on, like, character choice. Like, we really wanted people who were playing this game to do whatever they wanted to do. Because as a god, you should be able to do just bonkers stuff. You know? You should be able to just, like really create chaos around you should you want to do that and so um we built a system that allows you to construct these roads 
Um, or if you want to do something even bigger, you can construct a ritual with with like the other gods in your party. You can all sort of put energy into to making something that's very big, which could potentially be catastrophic. There is a system, there's a part of the city where a ritual went very wrong, and now it is uh, covered in giant mushrooms that are ever expanding into the rest of the city. Um, because the ritual's just still going. Um, yeah, so like, if anything that you can imagine, you can build a, a, a rote for, which is what, what we wanted. Um, we should probably, we've talked about this, we should probably come up with a name for our dice mechanic system, but one day. <laughs> Maybe. Well, maybe. <laughs> well, if you want to spitball with us, you know, feel free. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. We'll we'll be a fun little focus group for that. Right. Yeah. I'll 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 bring my if you if you would love to ha- if you would like to have me back at some point, I will bring my business partner, my designing partner, on with me, and we can we can all do it together. Oh, 10 billion percent for sure. Would, would that love sounds it. like a great time. Yeah, that's a lot of percent. Ten billion. Wow. All right. Yeah, like okay. way off the chart. <laughs> Great, perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, well, nothing like you know divine d sixes to to get your day going. I know, right? It's it's fun. Um, wh- one of the things that we, you know, how okay, so you know how in D and D, I'm just going to name drop D and D. We often are more diplomatic about it, but um, there are times when your spell can just fail, right? Like nothing happens; it just fizzles if you don't roll properly i swear this and, never happens yes i swear i don't know what ha- it was weird um but like that should never ha- as a god that should never happen like you are putting your godly essences to into it which is we we call it aether in the in the game and you have a certain number of aether points and like whatever it is you're trying to do will happen that doesn't mean that there's not a complication that could happen with it but like it's gonna happen and i think that everybody that we have played with has really appreciated that part of it is that like they spent time a table time constructing this rote and like i'm okay maybe i want to I want to use a little bit of my purview and I want to wrap this guy up with something and I want this to happen. I want it to last this long. And, you know, they spend the time to build this out and they put the points into it. Um, And that can, in other games, can just fail. You can just fail. And I, that sucks. (laughs) Like, not that I don't like failure. Failing forward is very cool and can come with very cool stories but like when nothing happens it's a feel bad it's a feel bad it's super disheartening to like to have your turn especially in a combat situation like okay i built all of these things up and then you do the roll and you're like oh okay i guess nothing happened um nobody wants that and so we sort of made sure that that was never gonna happen whatever it is that you're trying to do will happen but like you might screw it up but like that thing's happening (laughs) just might be bigger than you expect or in the wrong place (laughs) like yeah i mean because it sucks when it's like your your low-level wizard right your low-level sorcerer is like i know hold person and it's like well (laughs) turns out it's not humanoid so uh, right oh man (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like kicking the dirt, like, oh, shucks. Oh, just like the sad Hulk music as you walk away from the fight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas, like, you know, if you're a bubblegum god and you're like, yeah, I just want to cover this guy in bubblegum. <laughs> it's it's happening. Yeah. They are now covered in bubblegum. What's going to happen from there? We don't know. But, like, Maybe you did the thing. Maybe everyone's covered in bubblegum. Maybe everyone is covered in bubblegum. This sounds like some sort of nightmare scenario, actually. <laughs> it is. It, it is. just sounds like Adventure Time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that could be good as well. I'm curious if Nietzsche, right now, if you had to create a god, what you would be the god of, both of you? The god of losers. Ooh. Interesting. Mm. I like that. That is a good one. That's going to be tough to top. Um, gosh. This is so tough. You can do it, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know what's awful is like, there's a, I think like three or four times in the show I've mentioned the phrase fractal centipedes and that just is the thing that keeps popping in my head over and over again. It's the god of fractal centipedes. Like, can I just it's be the god specific. of centipedes? I'm just the god Could of centipedes. Be, yeah. And then, and or, then I am the god fractal of fractals. Could also be the god of fractals if you wanted to do it that way. Oh, there we go, god of fractals, and then I could I could do fractal all sorts of things. <laughs> you could you could fractal all the things I'll, forever. I'll make, I'll make a road that turns someone into a fractal, which sounds like some sort of hellish existence. That would be devastating. Doesn't it would that cause... happen in Magic would... the Gathering. Oh, mm-hmm. oh no! <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's just it's all just fractals all the way down. I approve. <laughs> yeah. I'm also reminded of, um, oh, there was that show. What was it? Um, there's an anime where the main character was like a former god or like was a god, but like he was the former god of war or something. And like, he basically just like, because there isn't as much war anymore, he just wasn't as important in the pantheon. Um, and it was just oh, kind of yeah. harmless. Well, I mean, that's a thing that we address in the lore as well. Like, you you are more powerful if you have uh, followers, and and there are there are gods in the city, for example. Like, even though it's a, a near future, like there's the god of archery, so you will see people that have like bows and arrows and stuff. Um, but you you could be the god of something some, that's now extinct. And then, so there's nothing left for you, but as a god, you don't die. So, like, what happens to you when your purview is just gone? That's really sad. It is. <laughs> That's like, uh, man. You know, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, like, eternal life sounds cool and all until you start to have to appreciate some of the actual downsides of, yeah. of living yeah. forever. Yeah. And uh, one of the mechanics we've put in is that uh, character death is voluntary. So, like, you... Your character will not die. You might go into a, a, what we call stillness, where you would have to, like, heal up, and you would be knocked out uh, for potentially multiple, you know, sessions. Um, but gods are really hard to kill. So, like, this is this is one where the character, the player has to choose if they would like their their god to die instead of the possibility of like well 
you know, you, you had a really bad night with the dice and I had a really great night with rolling. And I know you've been playing this character for four years and I'm really sorry. Uh, they're dead. So have fun, I guess. Yeah, so they don't just die randomly of, like, getting randomly disintegrated or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, okay, I guess I guess my story's done now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're finished. I'll that was be a very in example. <laughs> Where was someone dis- randomly disintegrated at your table? Well, well, I mean, not the person their character did. Well, well I would hope <laughs> not the person. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah um confessions here at the table <laughs> just Thanos snapped one of my pcs whoops <laughs> um, <laughs> so um no we, we i had a um in my personal game the uh one of my players he was playing a cleric and his big story moment was you know like or his big his story was basically that he was trying to hunt down his father who had like arranged to have his mother killed and so well also attempted to arrange to have him killed but he was taken away as a young kid and was able to survive the assassins by staying in hiding so oh excellent um, yeah it was fun right and uh when the story started he didn't actually know his father at all but through some some digging they eventually found that like (laughs) oh my dad's the head of state right like no big oh it's like uh you know he's the head of one of the like five city states that makes up this like larger conglomerate of of uh you know city states basically so it's like all right no big um and you know even better he's a bastard so <laughs> um like you know he's just he's a mean guy so sure. um the hero saved the city from some mind flayers and he you know the players get invited to like the governor's mansion as like a reward for saving the city the governor at this point is aware that his son is around looking for him but wasn't aware that his son was in the party of said heroes um, so when he shows up for the reward, um, the player character makes it a point to introduce himself as the son of said governor um, in front of everybody. He was illegitimate, so this was a bad a bad look. And he pulled out a when he did this, he pulled out like a small like an artifact that prevents teleportation, basically, and planner travel. Okay. And like, and he threw it. And the problem is that it looked an awful lot like an explosive device. So, uh oh. That basically reads as an assassination attempt for, like, the other guards in the area. So this kind of kicked off a fight. And in the fight, uh, his father disintegrated him. Whoops. So, um, you know, I mean, they did end up killing the father, too. Um, it caused a civil war. Things didn't go great after that, but um, but he was disintegrated. He, he missed yeah, his save by Yeah, I mean, it doesn't one. sound great. I'll tell you. <laughs> it sounds not great. Yeah, I mean, he missed his save by one, and then the damage was just enough to, to deplete his HP. So it was That's just fair. Like, it was just like, it was real close. Like, if it had broken a little bit one way or the other. Um, so he ended up rolling a new character and joining the party afterwards, um, after they had escaped. And... Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Magic the Gathering lore, but I play I play my campaign in like a magic adjacent setting. So cool. we ruled after the fact um that his character just, you know, became a planeswalker and went somewhere else and now he's an NPC that exists. Oh, fun. Um you know, and that came up later on. So it was um it, it was a fun way to kind of repurpose that character for later on. But uh the, the person who played them, um, they also kind of felt that like their character kinda of hadn't met the end of their of their arc. 
So at least it was like at the climax and not at like a random point prior to. Um, and it felt somewhat appropriate that like, you know, at any point in time, he could have just let this go, but he allowed his revenge to literally destroy him. So, you know, wild. It it was, it, it worked out <laughs> like, you know, yeah. as a, as a story beat, it was like, this makes total sense. Like he had, he had multiple opportunities to just like, let it go, let it go, let it go. And just couldn't. And so, yeah, it makes sense that, like, this is the, this is what happens. You know, they say, if you know, if you set out on a journey of revenge to dig two graves, uh, you know, so that that's what he did. Wow. That's crazy. And fun. <laughs> but, like, I understand the very specific reference now. I get it. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's what I love about D&D and what I love about tabletops is like you, you you play these games with your friends and you walk away with stories that, you know, you will take with you for forever, right? These are stories where yeah. like you will look back and you can share those stories as though you were the person who was there, right? And, you know, you get something out of that. You know, you enjoyed that kind of, um, you know, it feels almost very like oral tradition, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, something that we don't really get a ton of in, in today's day and age. So it, it's kind of a nice way to kind of channel that energy. So um, just remembered something stupid. Um, are you I familiar, love stupid. Are you what is with it? Shadow the Hedgehog? Oh, no. Sh- <laughs> Shadow the Hedgehog? Is that what you said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it, it, yeah, it sounds very familiar. Yeah. There, this is, you know, if you set out on a journey of revenge, you should dig two graves. There's a quote from one of his video games where he's like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to kill way more than two people. Way more than two people. <laughs> Which, like, and le- I mean, I guess so it's, stupid. are they mass graves? I think we're, I'm decimating this town. The town is the grave. Is that uh, not it? Yeah. But well, then you only need the one grave. And you only need the one. See? Efficiency. What if you're the god of graves? Ooh. I don't like where this is going. That's morbid. But, like, also helpful? Also helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded Well, suddenly. and that's the thing. All of them have two sides to the coin, right? Like, you can be absolutely helpful with all of these things. Mm-hmm. We, we were talking about, my business partner and I were talking about the god of joy. And I was like, how wonderful that would be. Like, you could be the god of joy. And, you, like, everybody could... you make everybody around you feel so happy and he was like right or you could make them never feel joy again and i was like oh no <laughs> why that like that's the opposite of a good time but, but like you have control over joy if you are the god of joy so some real duality there so you could take it away it's yeah yeah i am um, it, it's like it's one of those things like when you go to write uh like pantheons for your own games right it it can be really tough because the way that like dungeons and dragons works for instance you know all the gods have their own um have their own um domain right you're like oh i'm running to the domains but i really enjoy that like with the way that you're describing it that like no deities are a lot more flexible than that as they ought to be so when you write your deity like they could be a god of whatever you want them to be and sometimes gods are yeah. obscure like sometimes they're they cover a lot of weird stuff that doesn't always look like it it works together Yeah Um and you have the uh, in leveling up 
um, you just like gain more abilities and stuff. But one of the things that you can gain as you get to be higher level is you can take on another purview and it doesn't have to be related to what you already have. Like it could be, but like it could be different. You could end up being the God of bubblegum and volcanoes because you took both of them for whatever reason. Um, which well, then you could like, in life now to be the God of bubblegum and volcanoes. I'm mm-hmm. uh, let's, let's build a game where you get to do that. That sounds rad. <laughs> Also, that Figure is really it out. Cool. So you could like... like combine your stuff together. Mm-hmm. That's really fun. Because like, there's definitely a few different like deities that I've brewed up for like my own campaign. Um, that I'm like, ooh, that would be really fun to play as, right? Yeah. Just because like they, I have like little like lore blurbs or whatever that go alongside of like um with like some stuff. So for like the game that I run, the two major knowledge deities. Like they're associated. One of them is a knowledge deity associated with trickery, and the other one's associated with like death and grave domains. Because to me, it's like a lot of the knowledge deities are like often associated with like magic and like mm-hmm. you know that wise kind of thing. But I liked the idea of like having the the duality of the of knowledge in the setting that I run. At least is one of them is knowledge that comes with like a life well lived. And so, like, you know, that's kind of the whole point of the the one that's associated with, with, like, the death domain is, like, it's not – knowledge is, like, a summation of who you are, and you won't really know everything that you know until that final moment of your life, right? Um, you know, yeah. That, that is the goal of everything, is to eventually succumb to, to what comes beyond, so – I kind of like the idea of, of running kind of a morbid knowledge deity, where it's, like, it's not even, like – death is like evil in this context it's more like this is just kind of like a byproduct of getting older and wiser and such um yeah i mean it's that like god of fulfillment right like you fulfilled your stuff yeah all done now bye-bye <laughs> you 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 finished yeah. thanks thanks for playing off you go yeah and then there was the other one it was the, the god of empty truths um oh which that one? would be an amazing one to play in this game. <laughs> Just heads up. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly like I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to change my answer from fractals to empty truth. Uh, yeah, that would be could be just crushing. Truthfully, like oh boy. Yeah. So like I have a couple of like tenets of that of that religion. One of them was like you know why tell truths if lies will work, and if you can't <sighs> disprove a lie, then it's no different than the truth. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Which, like, just feels so callously mean to people who are not expecting it. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, if yeah, you're just okay. trying to mess with people, like, it's great. It is great. I mean, I I have a pretty good handle on what the two of you, how, how like, benevolent of gods the two of you would be. And I'm going to have to tell you, it seems like not very... <laughs> that's correct for marvin 100 I, mm-hmm. I i tend to play characters who are a little bit on the nicer side um i think i don't know marvin you tell me you've played with me as a pc more often than i have uh your characters tend to be old grumpy people who are trying to do the right thing <clears throat> well then there you go <laughs> I don't know. I wonder with 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 that god juice behind you, like how how much would that get off my lawn? Well, attitude, let turn me, into yeah. 
<laughs> the last time Owen was a god and a player character, he Uh-oh. tried to end the universe. <laughs> Look, Whoa, one time. That doesn't that doesn't sound benevolent, buddy. Like that sounds Okay, first maybe of all, that was one on time. The bad side. First oh, of all, that was one time. One time you tried to end the universe, and then suddenly everybody labels you as a universe ender or whatever. Yeah. Okay. It's second of all, they all had it coming. Okay. <laughs> it's true. Okay. They killed me. Oh well, I mean, it's a little revengey. Yeah, I realize but, I just spent like you know fifteen minutes or whatever chastising my player for going on revenge when I did the exact same thing. But you it know what? A, it's a little, that's a, the nuclear option, like, right away. <laughs> just went straight to it. Yeah, well, <laughs> you don't understand. Right. These NPCs are really condescending. Hey, you know what? Some, I guess some people deserve it in-game. <laughs> I don't like where this is going. <laughs> I, liked it, I liked it more when I was just old and grumpy. Yeah, that's fair. It's funny because I was talking about this same character when I said old and grumpy and trying to do the right thing. I, yeah, I know, but <laughs> not all of my characters. Although I, I will say that like a disturbing number of my bad guys turn into really condescending assholes. So, well, I mean, maybe that is what the link is, right? Like that's you see bad guys as condescending assholes, and that's true. Condescending assholes are bad guys. Wow, thanks for calling me a bad guy. I appreciate that. You yeah, you know what? Um, I didn't name you. Like, you you had to be the one that was like, oh, she's talking about me, clearly. Like, come Listen, on, man. Like, I'm you nothing have to if not yourself. self-aware. That's fair. All right, well. <laughs> yeah, that makes total sense. Um, yeah, I feel like I made a lot of friends here tonight, so. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely in good company. Um, oh, good. Definitely would not wipe out the universe. Um, Probably. That's like a very specific warning label that you would look at. (laughs) (laughs) We are definitely good friends and will not destroy the universe. It's like we'll definitely not kill you and everyone you love. Wink. Yeah. (laughs) Winky face emoji. (laughs) Yeah, it's like well, that's how you know that they're friendly, right? Like they're using the emojis. It's how you know that they're they're being nice. Yeah, Uh, that's true. Yeah. Mm Hmm. Oh, jeez. Now, now you could just be the emoji god. It's oh, like... you could. I love it. So then we were talking about the duality, right? How, like, you can do great good with emojis, where, like, you can make people feel happy and joyful, and then you can do great evil, like the emoji movie. Yeah. That was definitely the work of some say... malevolent god. <laughs> what evil have you wrought upon this world? I can only hope to do that much evil. <laughs> it's like, look, I may I may be a god who's done some terrible things, but I got standards. Alright. I might be a bad person, but I'm not that bad. <laughs> it's like, look, Bubblegum Volcano Guy may have been responsible for Pompeii, but at least I didn't make the emoji movie. Yeah. There's definitely a hierarchy of bad, I would mm-hmm. say. That's a bug. <laughs> I'm now imagining bubblegum Pompeii. It's like cover the top with bubblegum, and then it would just be a big giant bubble that catches all of the ash. Or, 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 the lava is sticky. Isn't lava already <laughs> sticky? Oh, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> 
I guess when you're a deity, it doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. You've you've made it sticky now. It's time. <laughs> I can preserve corpses in bubble gum, just like they did with Pompeii. Wow. Again, just like more insights into your your brain. <laughs> it's like yeah. Still, still digging up stuff. Yeah, it definitely gives you something to chew on. That's for sure. <laughs> like, because you chew bubble gum, is that are we are we punning this heavy, or was that not intended? No, no, you definitely def- didn't mean it. But I like it. Oh, I definitely oh, okay. did mean it. I'm working on my dad jokes. Yeah, my, my son's oh, getting yeah. old enough Get to. There. They're he's, developing. Yeah, he's starting to get old. You. I mean, I'm, I'm trying. I have to start somewhere. Like he, he's already four. He, like pretty soon, he's going to be old enough to like start making replies. So like, I need to be on my A game. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Intensive training coming up. Plus, you need to talk if you to Alan, if man. you've done the training, then you can play the the god of dad jokes, and then everything that you say at the table can be a pun. <laughs> oh, I'll take a secondary purview of rolling eyes. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, there has to be another god in the in the pantheon with you. That's just like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> like it's like your teenage offspring who's also a god who's just like a dad uh this is the worst yeah and then i can say well it's fine you know because i i know that you know when my son rolls his eyes it's how he laughs it's how he laughs he's just expressing himself it's fine yeah why couldn't i have been the god of expressing myself (laughs) it's the hardest thing to do (laughs) Ooh. The god of teen angst. Oh, that is a powerful what, one. So powerful and like so frustrating. <laughs> Just it's like the most petty. <laughs> yeah, I'm mad all the time, and I don't know why. So, like, I'm gonna play this character now. I've decided this is gonna be my first character in this system, and I'm gonna play my chemical romance every session I play. Yes, blasting it. Hmm. <laughs> the GM's gonna have to ask you to take your headphones out and you're just gonna ignore them. Oh no, I'm gonna play it full blast at the table. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Uh, secondary purpose gonna be boom boxes. <laughs> boom boxes. <laughs> the big the big old ones. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. That you have to haul around. Yeah. I like hoist where this it, is going. Hoist it on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, goodness me no this sounds really cool um i'll have to i'll have to check this out sooner rather than later um so i know you're in the middle of the project um do we have a an end date for for when the i don't actually know how kickstars work for this sort of thing is there like an end date where like then you produce it or yeah so um the kickstarter ends november 9th um and then uh because we are fully funded we will um collect payment at that point when as as soon as it's over um and then the the thing that is going to be time consuming for us is um the physical printing of the books we are taking that kickstarter money and we are printing the books out um and and printing is got weird delays in it and it's dumb um so we we are our hope is to deliver um we've given ourselves uh 18 months for pr- 
printing to like, you know, tweaks and, and finishing up everything that we need to do for the writing as well as, um, printing and shipping to get to everybody. Um, our hope is that we would get it out earlier, but that truthfully is all going to depend on shipping delays and paper and making sure that there's, you know, like sometimes they're like, oh, well, we couldn't print it yet because we don't have the proper ink color that was on this page. And so it's now there is a delay. Um, Yeah, all of the delays will come literally from the printing process, but we are, we are hopeful because of the, the book in its current form is, is already about 75% written. I would say, I would say 80% written. And then we're about 60% of the way through with the art. Um, and so once we get the rest of that in, which our, our goal, fingers crossed, you can't see me, but I'm crossing my fingers that we are done with all of that by the end of the year. Um, and then and then it's just printing. Very cool. Did you know if there will be an option for like just getting a PDF version? Absolutely. That's one of our tiers is uh is just getting a PDF which will which will go out as soon as everything is completed. It'll immediately immediately go out. Um Good. yeah. And we we are at a point where we have a um a quick kind of a quick start playbook that we mm-hmm. we gave to people who we play tested with at um a couple of conventions and we are are discussing the possibility of like everybody who backed as soon as we have collected from them that we would send out like here's the current you know it's not the full book but here's a pdf version of of something that you can get started with at the table and then as soon as it's the rest of it's finished where you could have you know, all, all of the fancy things on all of the levels, then, then we will send that out as well. Yeah. That sounds really cool. Um, Cause you know, it gives them an opportunity to kind of, you know, get their feet wet, you know, while they wait for the final product. Yeah. Yeah. And what we have a discord that as soon as we are, are through the dis the, the Kickstarter Kickstarter, that if you backed, then you can, can hop on our discord and, and chat with the creators and the team and, um, I mean, we're a very small team. It's basically just there's five of us, but two of us are doing um, all of the writing. So it's just a few of us. Um, but we we are around on the Discord and and we're there to answer questions and, and all that stuff. So cool. everybody get in on it. Yeah. I mean, if you have a link to that Discord too, um, by the time this goes up, I'll be happy to include that in the show notes as well. Cool. Yeah, I don't know how much we are are letting folk in pre because we this will probably go out pre Kickstarter being done. Correct. Yes, almost assuredly. Yes. Um, this All should right. be this should be released by if everything is going according to the plan. You're listening to this on release day. It should be October the thirtieth, two thousand twenty-two. <laughs> yeah, we did it. I feel like that is today. It's definitely it is that. Now. It yeah, could, it could be today. It, it, it could you, be today. You, we have time traveled in this moment. Um, time moves differently here, and that's yeah. great. Yeah, I'm kind of curious too with with the um, with the process of play testing an RPG. Like, it's a little bit different than just like playing the game because you get to look at the rules and kind of say this isn't this is or isn't working. Um, is there anything memorable from your play tests of the ground so far that like stick out as like valuable lessons 
that you've taken and kind of updated the rules to kind of mitigate in some way? Yeah, uh, almost every playtest, uh, at least the early playtests, we were like, all right, we feel really solid about these rules. Everything's great. And we would sit down and like 10 minutes in, one of the players would be like, okay, I want to do this thing. How do I do that? And we're like, oh, no, we hadn't considered that at all. Like there was a lot of I want to combine a rote with a regular action. And we were like, oh, damn. <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> so um, or just like trying to use. So, try, like trying to use something, an aspect of a rote uh, in a way that we hadn't considered um so there's definitely always something we had a guy okay so we he was playing the god of vending machines love it um and he we were in a fight and he said well i think that a cannon is just a vending machine for cannonballs so (laughs) i'm gonna conjure a cannon and we were like oh my god i mean i can't it's a really compelling argument, so I'm going to let you do it. Um, it's like an exponentially more dangerous version of is a hot dog a sandwich? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I think we just, we had to really, um, there was a couple of power level things that we had to, like, adjust. Because sometimes they would just get, like, like I'm going to do this thing. And I was like, oh, no, this is way more than I was expecting. <laughs> okay. Um yeah, so it's a. It was definitely an interesting learning process, um, and we have been changing things. Like we just we just did a, a tweak to the rules. Uh, I ran a session today, and we we tweaked some rules afterwards. Um, we were able to get into stuff that we hadn't before, and just determined something was broken. So <laughs> we fixed it. <laughs> I think, quote like quote-unquote fixed yeah allegedly i think the rules are more like guidelines really they're just sort of we don't want the rules to get in the way and so there is actually a section in the book like is if this doesn't work at your table please feel free to throw it out because it's more important that you jive with your players than that you rules as written it I honestly wish that section was in more games. Yeah, I mean that's how I run all games, honestly. <laughs> but but like we wanted to call that out specifically. Yeah, I mean just putting it there is really empowering for newer people who might be unfamiliar with the hobby. Um like that's always been like to me the most compelling reason to include things like that um you know in books. It's like ultimately you don't know the familiarity that the person who's reading it is with with the material, with the hobby. And so you always want to make sure that like, if you're going to outline things in the book that you always make it clear that like, this is just one way to do these things. There are other options available to you. Yeah. I think people get really intimidated and, uh, and you don't have to be intimidated. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's an intimidating hobby, right? Fair. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of rules and things to keep in your head, but like, as long as you have the right people at the table, like they're supporting you and they're there to. That's it's it's all about that good environment at your table, right? Like, 
it's okay if you don't know a rule because they don't care. <laughs> like, they just want to have fun with you. I mean, moreover, they might not even know. It's usually that, truthfully. Like, they probably have no idea how the rules work. And if you just go like, yes, this, and then they're like, okay. Say fast enough with an, and with enough conviction. <laughs> yeah. Nobody absolutely. will question you. A thousand percent. <laughs> so, um, so with that, I think we're just about at time. Um, Sarah, do you want to let the uh, audience uh, know kind of where they can find you? And of course, if you have any closing thoughts for us tonight, uh, please. Yeah, you can find me on Facebook at actor Sarah Moore. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and uh, Ko-Fi and TikTok at Pixies and Pins. Um, I also have a website, pixiesandpins.com. Um, and uh, I have an actual play show on Gen Con TV, twitch.tv slash Gen Con TV every Friday at 5 p.m. called Sarah's Table. Um, and uh, if you want to learn more about The Crown specifically, you can go to formerlyferalgames.com, which is the name of the company that we've created to make it. Uh, yeah, that's it. Those are all the things. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us tonight. Um, you've been an absolute pleasure, and hopefully this won't be the last time we've heard from you. Um, yeah, thanks so much. I am actively looking forward to your project, so um, so I, I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to hearing more about Yay. that. Hopefully we'll get some time to uh, to play with it in the near future. You can't tell, but I'm doing the little, like, excited open hand, hand clap thing that little kids do. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right, Sarah. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. Um, as always, uh, you can catch up with us. Uh, we release new episodes every Sunday, audience, um, if you're listening. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter at TIAFA Podcast. You can follow me at Vlad Fever or Marvin at Taiyugetsu on Twitter. Um, that's where we spend a lot of time. Um, thank you so much again for, for joining us, uh, Sarah. Um, thank you so much again, audience, for hanging out with us uh, for another evening. And, uh, you know, stay crunchy. Have a good one, everybody. Bye.